0: reading is from Exodus chapter 2 uh, verse 23 to chapter 3 verse 12. After a long time the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned under their slavery and cried out. Out of the slavery their cry for help rose up to God. God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God looked upon the Israelites and God took notice of them. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Gospel reading is from Luke chapter 1, verses 67 to 80. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Then John's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke this prophecy. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus, he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors and has remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day he appeared publicly to Israel. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ.
1: Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for your word and for your spirit. And we pray that you would be near to us and that as we open your scriptures, that you would speak. Speak to our hearts, speak to our minds, cut through the noise and the clutter, the chatter, all the things that deafen our ears or blind our eyes to perceive what you would have us to perceive. So may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. You are our rock, you are our redeemer, and we ask for your help now. Bless us in Jesus' name, amen. So when was the last time that you saw a really great night sky? Like with all the stars where you're just stunned at the grandeur of the heavens? My family and I had the opportunity this summer to kind of go in pursuit of a bit of a good dark sky where we might see some stars. We had the opportunity to get out west and do some camping and, and just try, you know, but it's, it's a special thing when the, the new moon lines up with a clear, uh, you know, a, a non-cloudy night when you're in the right spot at the right time. And if you've seen it, you know just how stunning the night sky can be. I hope maybe some of you Found some green space this summer. Maybe we're able to get away from the city lights a little bit and, uh, and see a good night sky. There was a documentary that came out maybe 10 years ago or so by um, filmmaker Ian Cheney. It's called The City Dark, and it explores light pollution. And in the film, uh, it asked the question what do we lose when we lose the night sky? And after giving attention to all sorts of measurable, empirical effects of light pollution, things like the relocation of astronomers to remote islands where they can actually find dark sky, or uh, the inability of sea turtles to use the stars to navigate their patterns for migration and nesting, the documentary then turns to this philosophical question. What happens to humanity? What happens to humanity over the long, slow process of dimming the heavens. What happens to us over time when the brightest lights that we see at night are the ones that we ourselves have made, that we've put at the top of lampposts and skyscrapers, that the lights that feel most relevant to us are the ones that we can switch on and off when we say, let there be light. What happens to our humility? when we no longer live under this vast nightly reminder that we are extremely small. This is a really helpful spiritual metaphor, I think, as we consider our own lives in relation to God, because at both the individual and cultural levels, we suffer from a kind of intellectual and spiritual light pollution. And the more that we try to live by the light of our own eyes, the more we grow to think that the light of our own eyes is the only light there is, or at least it's the only light we need. And the more and more we, go, we grow blind to the light of heaven, that is the presence and wisdom of God who is living and active in our midst, the more we grow to think that we don't need God or God is not available to us, Philosopher Alvin Plantinga uses a version of the same metaphor in a related discussion about the limits of the kind of knowledge we can gain by way of modern disciplines like science and history. He's responding to another philosopher's assertion that things like miracles just aren't compatible with what we know from these modern disciplines because the disciplines themselves need to proceed from an assumption that every event they're trying to explain can be accounted for in terms of otherworldly events or other things that we can't explain. And Planinga, taking on this philosophical debate, he writes this. He says, this argument is like the drunk who insisted on looking for his lost car keys under the streetlight on the grounds that the light was better there. In fact, it would go the drunk one better. It would insist that because the keys would be hard to find in the dark, they must be under the light. I love this word picture because it exposes the absurdity of our attempts to live by the light of our own eyes, which is inevitably what we do when we lose sight of the heavens and grow blind to God. So we've begun our summer seri- or our fall series rather, on Exodus. We started last week. And um, this light pollution metaphor, I think, is a helpful, uh, a helpful way into part two of our series. Because we talked last week about our Egypts and this idea that in Jesus, God is calling us out of our Egypts to go on an Exodus journey of liberation and transformation in and with Jesus. And what we need in order to see Egypt for what it is in our lives is we need a different kind of light. We need the light of God and not just the light of our own eyes if we are to recognize Egypt for what it is. Egypt as a place of enslavement rather than a place where we wanna stay. The stories that we tell about our lives, the stories that we live by, they get twisted when we live by the light of our own eyes as faithless and unbelieving. These are the stories that you and I construct in order to connect the dots of our lives. And they don't do justice to some of the most important dots, so to speak. Our narrative lines don't do justice to connecting all of the dots when we begin in the wrong place. The stories that we tell about our lives become just too small to be satisfying. They're too self-oriented. They're too short-sighted. So last week, we thought about those two of those familiar yet unsatisfying stories that we often live by. One is the story of exile, right? I'm alone. I've been abandoned. I'm missing out on the good life. I'm watching it pass me by. I'm not included. And then on the other hand, we talked about the story of enslavement. I'm stuck. I'm trapped here in my body, in this relationship, in this dead-end job, in my debt, in my addiction, in my secret, in my shame, I'm stuck. There's no way out. Stories of exile, stories of enslavement, these are familiar and they're compelling to some level, right, for each of us because we all experience those real kinds of hurt and failure. We know what it's like to make bad decisions and live with the consequences. We know what it's like to suffer loss. We know what it's like to be on the receiving end of abuse. We do experience the ugly, hard realities of life in a broken world and we struggle to know how to relate to those things in some way other than denial or despair. But ultimately we know that these stories we tell these stories of enslavement, these stories of exile, we know that they're not satisfying. They're stories that we tell out of our tunnel vision. They're stories that we tell from a place of dimness. And so to break free from the cycle of rehearsing these stories over and over again, what we need is something to shake us free. We need a disruption. We need something to interrupt that causes us to venture out from the narrow sidewalk under the street light and to look up once again into the blazing and glorious heavenly light that illumines a better path, that follows another course toward a bigger and more beautiful destination. Something better and more beautiful than the sad little stories that we so often tell, that we settle for. We need an interruption and we need an invitation to something better. And that's what Exodus gives us. That's why we're in Exodus this fall. Our text this morning tells the story of God appearing to Moses at the burning bush, which is actually kind of a misnomer because what's interesting about the bush is that it isn't burning. It's on fire, but the bush isn't burning up, which is why Moses goes over there to begin with. But I'm going to keep calling it the burning bush because that's a shorthand. And the bush that isn't burning, even though it's on fire, is just going to get clunky and cumbersome, right? If we, if we do that. So Moses at the burning bush, it's the moment in the story when God, who has been apparently absent from the story thus far, not actually absent, but apparently absent, this God steps out from obscurity and makes himself known. The interruption begins. This is the moment when the heavenly light dawns in a story that has been tragically dark up to this point. And the narrative begins to turn from a story of exile and enslavement to a story of Exodus. This morning, as we consider this text, my hope is that we're going to experience something of the disruption that God intends for us as we encounter this God of the Exodus, the true and living God who doesn't fit inside the little stories we tell, He doesn't fit inside the little stories even that we take for granted about our lives and the world. And I want us to just briefly consider three ways that God breaks in, three ways that God calls us out of our tunnel vision, three ways that God invites us to look up. God hears the cry of his people. God acts on behalf of his people and God promises to be present with his people. God hears the cry so this episode begins with God hearing the groans of his people. These groans of people in Israel who are crying out for help because of the brutal, the brutal conditions of what life in Egypt has become. So up to this point, God has not made an appearance in the story, but here it says that the cries of the people rose up to him. And what happens when that happens? God responds in a major way. And we see four consecutive action verbs. God heard, God remembered, God looked. God took notice. For the Israelites, the story of life in Egypt, which is the worst experience in their collective memory, begins to turn into their story of Exodus, which is the greatest redemptive moment in their history. The story turns when God hears their cries. The God we meet in this story is the God who hears. And that's immediately instructive for us, isn't it? God hears your cries. Just think about that. God actually listens to us, to you. God actually cares about what you care about. I had a professor in seminary who would ask the question, are you crying out to God, or are you just crying into your pillow? Because those are very different things. They're both legitimate as we experience the hard things of life. But to turn our cry away from simply the pillow to the God who hears is where this journey of faith starts to take some shape. God hears the cries of his people. And I think the challenge for us and the invitation for us is to actually try that on and believe it. Like what would happen if we really believed that God is listening and cares? What would happen if we redirected our cries to God? I think we'd start talking to him in prayer. I think we'd start listening probably to him. I think we'd also begin to start listening more carefully to the cries of others and going with them to the God who hears. And what the remarkable thing is about all this is when God hears you and you recognize that, that's also when you actually really begin often to hear Him. This dynamic relationship with God of speaking and listening opens up the moment that we lift our cries to God and we recognize that God hears. Do you want to hear God? I think that's another question for us that we need to take seriously. Do I, do I want to? Because the thing is, I at some level find comfort in living by the light of my own eyes. I sometimes find comfort in living inside the small story that I can explain and that leaves me in a little bit more control, it seems. Do I want the interruption of God in my life? We need it. And the places where we don't want it are places where we're actually blind to just how deeply we need it. God hears the cries of his people, but he doesn't just hear. God also acts. God acts on behalf of his people. The next thing we see in the story after God hears of the cries of his people is this encounter where Moses meets God at the not-burning bush, right? God acts. He begins to set in motion this rescue mission, and the first move he makes is to enlist Moses as the leader of it. And there are a couple of things we need to think about with respect to the way God acts on behalf of his people, which is going to help us think about what it means for us to live in relation to a God who acts. To live in relation to a God who hears is beautiful, and I think the invitation there is for us to take that seriously, to speak, to make the the desires of our hearts known known to God, who already knows us, but to involve us in that dynamic of speaking forth our own desires and also interceding on behalf of those around us, but then to believe that God acts and to participate in the world with a God who's not just listening, but who's on the move. What does that look like? Well, God doesn't do things the way we would always expect. So, Moses, for example, is like not who you'd pick. If you're going to do an Exodus leader search and like go to LinkedIn and be like, all right, we need the right candidate. Moses is an exiled criminal who's like 80, who is an Egyptian prince turned lowly shepherd. And he's meeting God at this place that's like, in like the driest place you can find. So it's a terrible location, Horeb, the dry mountain, a full three days journey from the Nile. Like Moses is not who you'd pick really, but Moses is who God chooses. And then the burning bush is, is weird in itself, right? It's not playing by the rules of the created order. God's doing something in miracle fashion as we see that God sometimes does. This is a major theme in Exodus where we're gonna see the creator God who rules over all creation. He's going to intervene in ways that disrupt even that order. He's gonna intervene in ways that demonstrate an even greater power. Greater than Pharaoh, greater than the cosmos. So God does things a little differently than we would. And he acts on timing that's a little different than maybe what we would. And it's sometimes really hard for us, I think, to understand why does God take so long? The Israelites have been enslaved in Egypt for a long time. They've been there for 400 years. As we saw last week, it didn't start out bad, but it really became bad. And then what we see as he leads them out, it's not a quick fix, but it's a long process. And it's a process that's beautiful, but it requires a lot of trust. Trust doesn't begin with understanding. Understanding unfolds along the long journey that starts with a courageous departure when we trust God. And that's hard for us because we like to be able to turn the lights on and off with the switch. We like to be in control. We like to get all the facts straight, right? We like to know what it is we're embarking on before we decide if or whether we'll, you know, whether or when we'll go. But that's not what an exodus journey is like. An exodus journey begins with a who. I am the Lord. And then unfolds with greater detail around what that means, where they're going, how long it will take, what all will be involved. God is acting and not in the way that we expect or would script. And he acts according to his own purpose, not ours. And this is where we as we come in and we, we want to layer religion or faith into our lives, or we've got most things figured out and maybe Christianity or church membership could be an ornamental feature on my life that might be a value add to my sort of cafeteria line assembly of different sorts of aspects of my life. That's not how, that's not how this God works. God doesn't work as an ornamental extra God is the creator of the universe who like made all of you, who holds you, who, who holds all things together and fills this world and our bodies with life and who calls us out of Egypt to go with him according to his agenda, not ours. He's the leader and we follow and he doesn't give us all the info up front and we don't always understand why things happen the way they do as the journey takes its twists and turns. But I'm very struck by verse eight of chapter three about how God does this work of liberating. Look at verse eight. He comes down is what it says. I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land. Our God who acts does so in a way where he comes down to us to lift us. God comes not as this aloof video game player who's like playing us or watching the pieces move. He's not some watchmaker who set this thing and is now watching us like a movie. God is not some big man upstairs who's out of touch with our feelings or situation or may or may not care. What we see of God when we get to know the real and living God who makes himself known in this story and in the story of Jesus is this is a God who gets into the mess with us. We make a mess, we turn away. God comes chasing after us and doesn't keep himself clean of our mess. I remember one time we were at a playground with my son and um, this is one of those beach vacation things where my, my family has this thing where, in the last hour of our vacation, somebody has to go to the emergency room because something happens and then like, we don't even get to go home on the day we plan. So this is, we were at the beach in North Carolina a couple years ago and um, it was one of those things, we, we go on a vacation with this other family and it was like, all right, dads and kids go to the playground for one hour, we'll finish the last of the cleaning and then we'll hit the road. So we go to the playground for our one hour, we're there like 20 minutes. And then I see my son, Will come running around, blood everywhere, you know? And he has fallen, it's kind of wet. He's, he's slipped and fallen and gashed his eyebrow on the, on the jungle gym thing. And he's just like gushing blood. And you take one look and you're like, oh, definitely stitches, right? But there's this moment where it's like, he's wearing this yellow shirt and it's just drenched in blood. He's so bloody, you know? And, and it's like, I'm his dad. What am I gonna do in that moment? Am I gonna be like, ooh, this is my good shirt. I'd rather not ruin it with a hug. Or am I just gonna be, I'm all in. Come on and get me bloody, I don't care right? It's like a dad move to step in and you just don't care. The God who comes down to meet us is the God who just doesn't mind getting our mess all over him. He is so driven by love that he comes down and he gets in it with us and he binds himself to us and he leads us up and leads us out and leads us into a better and broad land. And we see this most clearly in Jesus, of course, right? With God literally coming down in the physical body of a human being in order to suffer with us and die with us so that we would rise with him to the newness of life and go to the horizon toward which he's leading us. So when we think about what it looks like for God to act, we we shouldn't think of God up there somewhere, maybe doing something. But it is the God right here who's in this room, who's nearer to you than your own heart and soul, who's in you and with you and among us and right here and alive and active. This God has attached himself to us and he's saying, out of Egypt, I call you. With me, let's go. He hears, he acts, and he promises to be with us. Moses has this moment where he goes quite reasonably, who am I? This is a ridiculous mission that you're calling me. go to Pharaoh. Pharaoh is the most powerful person in the world. Go to Pharaoh, you're saying, and lead this people Israel out of enslavement in that land. You've got to be kidding me. And Moses, rightly, he's an old guy, totally underqualified for this job. And he goes, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh. And God's answer is not a list of attributes. It's not a list of Moses' qualifications about why he is actually the right choice. The one and only answer God gives is I will be with you. I will be with you. Because what is about to happen in the Exodus is not something that anyone would be qualified to do. And that's true also of our own little mini exoduses ourselves. When you think about your places of being stuck in life, when you think about your own places of feeling exiled or alone or abandoned or left out, the places in your life that feel like the dead ends of your life story, who could possibly help you land in a place where you're hopeful again? Who could possibly meet you in that dark corner And change it. There's not a person alive that's qualified to do that, yet God is in the business of making all things new, and he enlists us in that endeavor and promises to go with us into the work of being healers, of being hearers, of being doers in and with God, to be part of someone else's redemptive journey, to be a Moses for someone else, to follow a Moses into a better land against the grain of our desires and our cravings and our resistance and all the ways that we're saying no. God is a liberator and he loves you and he is for you and he is absolutely committed to bringing you with him to the land that he's making of a renewed heavens and earth when he's making all things new. So this is the God that we meet in the Exodus story. This is the journey we're taking this fall as we're considering what it means for us to adopt this script of Exodus instead of some of the shallower and darker scripts of the smaller stories that we tell when we live by the light of our own eyes as faithless and unbelieving. And the invitation for us this fall is gonna be to take the invitation from God Out of Egypt, I call my child. This is the Jesus journey embarked on. It's the the journey Jesus is leading us on. And we get to go with him into the deeper waters of life with God. That yellow sheet that you've got with all the the connections menu, each and every one of those is like a little well that's there for you to go and drink. Each of these is a little community that might be for you the place where you attach to that community that's following the invitation out of Egypt and into a broader and better land. And what I'm hoping for, praying for this fall is resurrection is that we would take up that invitation, say yes, and actually say yes to the even the calling to be a Moses for somebody else. And not to listen too carefully to the who am I questions that arise, because those are legit. Who are you? Yeah, you're nobody, but you're somebody and you're special, but you're not qualified for this. But that's true of every single one of us. But even more true, I will be with you, says the Lord. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for the love you extend us in Jesus. We thank you for your liberating power. And we come now opening our hearts to you, opening our minds and asking, would you do a new thing in us? Would you do a new thing among us? Would you lead us out of the places where we're stuck? Would you lead us out of despair? Would you lead us out of denial? Would you lead us out of the shallow end of the pool? And would we go together with you into the goodness, the beauty, the depth of life and joy with you? Help us, we pray, and be with us as you've promised through Christ our Lord, amen.